0: find your place, stand together as we worship the Lord through song, sing out glory to his name. Let's lift his name up this morning.
1: Good morning, and welcome to First Baptist Church of Wickham. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay
2: connected. We have scheduled a baptism service for Sunday, March 10th. Please see Pastor Brad if you would like to be baptized or if you have any questions about baptism. The Truth Tracker Grand Prix is coming up on Saturday, March 9th from 12 to 3 This event is open to all children, teens, and adults, and we encourage you to invite your friends and family to participate in both events. If you have any further questions, please see Mike Murdy or Johnny Martin after the morning gathering.
1: The future leaders of Wixom Group will be meeting next Monday evening, March 4th, at 7 p.m. We want to invite all young men to this great evening with others interested in developing into church leaders. As always, snacks will be provided. Today is the final day to sign up for the missions trip to Peru in May. Please see Pastor Brad after the morning gathering today if you are interested in participating in this trip.
2: We want to encourage all attenders to get involved with one-on-one discipleship. This is a great way for believers to get together regularly and push each other closer to Christ. Please see Johnny Martin for info about discipleship or to sign up community groups continue tonight with a special group gathering for all groups here at the church at 6 p.m. The meetings will be followed by a chilly cook-off in the gymnasium.
1: In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways that we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the Giving Box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page.
2: If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a Connections card online at fbcwicksum.org/connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center on your way out for a special gift after the service. Thank you again for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning.
3: Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. I want to add just a couple of announcements. If you're familiar with our Sunday school classes at 945, most of the year the college and career class is meeting and the E3 uh, Sunday school class is meeting, which right now is starting points. And then the auditorium class meets at 945. But we almost all year long have another option for you that we call our modular class. And a new modular, which is a short six to eight week class, a new modular begins next week. Eric Jacobs will be teaching on a book called The Wisdom Pyramid, which is all about um, what we're actually going to discuss in our morning message today. And that is turning off the noise of the world and turning on wisdom resources, how God wants to speak to us through his word and in other ways. And so I think you'll find this to be a very practical and Uh, Helpful class, it begins next Sunday morning at 9.45. Then just a quick housekeeping announcement, if I could, please. We've had a small problem before and after some of our services with children throughout the building unsupervised. We would just ask that if you have kids with you here Um, That are below seventh grade, that you not let them run through the building unsupervised. That will help us with a couple liability issues, and uh, we appreciate you understanding that. Holden's gonna come in just a minute with an announcement about youth camp, but before he does, I'd like you to watch this video.
4: So Lake Ant Camp is, is very purposeful in everything that they do.
1: When we brought our kids to Lake Ant Camp, we knew that they were going to be safe. We knew that they were going to learn. And not only just learn, but learn about God's Word and how to, how to take that and apply that to their lives
4: on a daily basis.
0: We build intentionality into everything we do. It doesn't matter whether it's skit night or chapel, every single thing that we do, we've thought through how does this fit into the overall camper experiences, helping the campers have great experiences that they'll never forget for the rest of their life and things that really move them forward in their walk with God.
2: Lake Ann Camp we offer programming for our incoming 4th graders all the way to our graduating seniors and we have programming specific to the age group. Some unique activities offered at Lake Ann are the Goliath, a 3 day river rafting trip and challenge courses. High adventure activities such as zipline, uh, we offer excursions like pyramid point and our senior hires get to do this crazy competition called fight night.
1: Lake Ant Camp is truly a place where you can discover life at its best because we challenge by choice. We bring a camper into a situation uh, on the challenge course or or even in chapel where we challenge them to step out of their comfort zone and into a, a, a challenging zone where they have to grow or grown. And we usually end up seeing a camper, they grow. and so. It is a place to discover life at its best and to find Jesus Christ.
5: really passionate about camp ministry. I've been to camp dozens of times in my life, but all of my best camp experiences were actually at Lake Ann. My parents sent me when I was in seventh grade and it was awesome. A lot of foundational spiritual decisions get made at camp, which I think anyone who's been to a Christian camp could attest to that. But I will say personally, that the things that I learned about the Bible, about my faith at Lake Ann stuck with me, and there's reasons for that. Lake Ann really is about scripture, it's about teamwork, it's about current challenges. One of the things that Lake Ann does that Ken Riley, who's a friend of mine, really is passionate about is asking, what questions are your kids asking right now? Because fourth graders and fifth graders, they're asking different questions. These might not be questions they're asking out loud but they're questions that they have in their place in their life that are different from what people that are in 11th and 12th grade are asking. Lake Ann has programs for all age groups, and it's answering the questions that kids are dealing with at the very specific point in their life that they're at camp. For example, their 9th grade program Is asking questions, how do I interact with the world? Many kids are going into high school. That is a big adjustment. How do we handle that with Scripture? Lake Ann is also a place where our college kids have served and served faithfully for a lot of years. And it's a super spiritually beneficial experience. So I hope that you'll consider going this year to summer camp or sending your kids to summer camp. This year, we're going to go to summer camp at Lake Ann on July 15th through the 20th. We'll meet here at the church on the 15th. Emily and myself will drive up with the kids and stay with them for the entire week there as they get to experience the awesome experience that is camp. And then we'll come back here and you can pick up your kids. Now, I know camp is an investment. We've got brochures in the back, and in fact, I'll be in the back after the service to talk through camp with you if you're interested. It is an investment. It's something that, especially if you have multiple kids, I know can be a financial challenge, but I think it's really valuable. Additionally, the deacons do have some funding options if you really want to pursue camp. Come talk to me. Let's see what we can, we can work through because I think this is a really beneficial experience for all the kids. So please consider whether this is a worthwhile investment for your child. And again, please come talk to me after the service or if you don't catch me after the service, talk to me anytime and let's talk about camp. I have a second thing I want to talk about and that's tonight at 6 p.m. we have community group here in the auditorium. So come right back here at 6 o'clock. It's going to be discussion-based just like normal. Your study guide has the questions we're going to go through tonight. Those questions are based on pastor's message that he's preaching this morning, and we're going to talk about things related to that. But it also is particularly related to the topic of intergenerational investment in one another in a community. So please come. There's child care provided through the sixth grade. So come bring your kids and plan to participate in discussion with one another here. And if that's not enough for you, there's food afterward. So you can always come and eat some chili afterward. Specifically, if you are bringing chili, multiple of you have volunteered and signed up. That's awesome. Um, Please plan to bring the chili beforehand. I'll have stations set up for you in the gym, and you can keep it plugged in and come in and join us for discussion, and then we'll all eat afterward at 7 o'clock. So please plan to come tonight, join us for a community group here at the church, here in the auditorium, and we'll see you then. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to come here this morning. Help us to focus on your word and what you have to share with us through Pastor Brad this morning. Help us to remember that Your Word is the truth and for us not to, to get off on other things, misunderstandings or misconceptions. Help us to continuously come back to Your truth. Help us to focus on it and help us to use Your Word as our guide. Lord, we ask for Your help this morning in understanding the Word and worshiping together. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.
0: Let's stand and continue to worship through song. As we sing out, my faith has found a resting place. Let's sing this together. that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm just so thankful for a ministry like her, like ours that, that focuses and puts so much emphasis on being scripturally founded and based. And as we sing and as we worship and as our faith is being built this morning, I want us to re- be reminded of this truth that we cannot be built and founded on anything more foundational than Jesus. That's what we need to be founded on this morning. It's not in anything that we can do. It's in Christ. As we continue to worship this morning, let's sing this out. All I have is Christ. Sing out this morning, you can be seated. As we prepare to sing a special, I want you to think through something. As your week has transpired, and as you've engaged in some difficult situations, some hardships, ones that I could never explain or know about, or relate to maybe even. I want us to be encouraged with this truth, that if we draw nigh to God, he promises he will draw nigh to us. He is waiting for us. He is longing for us to spend time with him in so much that he was willing to give his own life for us. I want us to be encouraged with this this truth. We need Jesus. And as we sing this out as a prayer this morning, I hope it's your prayers where, Lord, I need you.
4: You in the seeking, Lord, I find you in the doubt, and to know you is to love you, and to know so little else.
3: for that clear message. We need Jesus. In fact, that is our first of our three applications today. You cannot live up to the expectations of Jesus for his kingdom without him. You just can't do it. You and I need the Savior. Last week, we started a six-week journey considering the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching through three passages of, or three chapters in Matthew Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Last Sunday morning we called the first message Principles of Kingdom Living because what Jesus is really doing is laying out his expectations as king for his subjects. And last Sunday morning we looked at the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5 in a message that we entitled Principle number 1 be deliberately different, not weird But purposefully different in attitude, perspective, purpose, and goal. Today, we're in the last part of Matthew chapter 5. Principle number two is this don't believe everything you hear. We'll have to simplify, oversimplify a lot of what we look at today because there's just too much material for one sermon. But I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. This is a long passage, longer than normal on Sunday morning. I would ask you to stay with me as we read the rest of Matthew chapter 5. It's tempting to skip some of this, but Jesus can preach his sermon better than I can, right? So let's listen to what the master has to say. This is Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse number 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass... One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men, so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, a term of derision, shall be in danger of the counsel. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou... Bring thy gift to the altar and remember there thy brother has aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye offend you, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offend you, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt Perform unto the, lo- the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, or yes, yes, and no, no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. You have heard that it hath been said an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. I say unto you, love your enemies." Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love men which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect. Even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Boy, do we need Jesus if that's the standard. Let's pray together as we start today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of Jesus. This message that is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. It seems impossible of a task to pull the truth out efficiently. Help us to do that today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Change how we think. Change how we relate with one another. Change how we view sin Today, Lord, help us to to think more in line with your thoughts today. Because of this message, we pray in our Savior Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you a little bit of the news that happened this last week. I don't know if you caught this, but there were some mummified monkey remains found in luggage in Boston Airport. Did you hear about that? There was another headline that said a woman who was tossing trash into a dumpster fell in. And barely survived compaction. Winston Churchill's false teeth just sold at auction. I don't know if you saw that. Pretty cool stuff. A truck spilled 10,000 gallons of milk on a Massachusetts highway. And a girl broke the world record for the number of sweaters worn at one time with 45. Now, I hope when you hear that, you say, Brad, I did not come for that. That is nonsense. That is ridiculous. And it's meant to prove a point. Most of what we hear in our world is ridiculous. Most of it is just noise. It does not have eternal impact. In fact, it's meant for your entertainment and someone else's profit. So the question today is, what if you could turn it all off? Silence. Jeremy let me borrow one of his friends today. This is Victor. I apologize if it unnerves you sitting there. Victor has noise-canceling headphones on, so he can only hear what he's supposed to hear. Have you ever done that? In some circumstances, it can be a little bit dangerous. In some places, it's wonderful, right? Like on an airplane, just turn everybody off. The ridiculous announcements, the crying children, the barking dogs, whatever happens to be in your airplane. And total silence I want you just to think about what that would mean if you could turn off all of the noise and just hear truth, just what you're supposed to hear. If you could filter everything, if you could accurately tell truth from fiction every time. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus could do this. Jesus had some correcting to do, because the Jews were stuck firmly on what we might call the letter of the law. And not just that, they were stuck on the religious leaders interpretation of the law, and they were using that to their personal benefit. One of my favorite quotes is by Peter Drucker. It says this, the writer you do the wrong things, the wronger you become. Uh, This was the motto of the Pharisees. They were doing the right things or or the wrong things so right that they were becoming incredibly wrong. In fact, the solution that they came up with to the law, because they knew they couldn't keep it, the solution they came up with was to give it more detail, which just drove them farther away from God. What God had originally intended no longer mattered. And so Jesus says, turn that off. You've heard that. What I want you to do today is just to hear truth. Silence on everything else. Just truth. So a couple of points today from the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, Jesus' view of Scripture was absolute. His view of Scripture was absolute. He is the absolute fulfillment of, Of the Old Testament scriptures, verse number 17, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. This phrase, you no doubt see it often in the New Testament. It's the law and prophets. This means the Old Testament. He's not specifically talking about the rules and the prophecies. He's talking about the whole package of the Old Testament. Let me give you a quick example. In Luke 16:16 Jesus says the law and the prophets were until John, John the baptizer. When he came, the Old Testament period was ending. Jesus goes on to say, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Or in other words, you have the Old Testament and it led all the way up to John the baptizer. John the baptizer was the forerunner of the Messiah. And now you have a new arrangement. Jesus talks about this. When he's on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, where it says that beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all of the scriptures, the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. When Jesus says the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament, the old system of religion. He says this, I did not come to nullify it, but to absolutely fulfill it. You see, the the Old Testament religious system was to try to get these sinners to have a right relationship with God. And to have a right relationship with God, what he did was he gave them all these commands to not only make them look different and act different, but to remind them that they had this sin debt. And so they were constantly sacrificing these animals, pushing the mountain of sin ahead of them. And what Jesus says is, I fixed all that. They kept disobeying and breaking the covenant. They had locked the door, so to speak, on God's blessing by disobedience. And then the religious leaders came along and to fix it, they just started adding more and more padlocks to the door. The solution became a bigger problem than the problem. They just became more religious and less righteous. Jesus fixed all of that. Jesus said, I'm come to fulfill God's intentions from eternity past that people would actually have a 100% right relationship with Him. But it's only possible through me, Jesus says. The law is still the standard of righteousness, but Jesus is the only path to true righteousness. Here's what Romans 10 4 says For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. For whom? To everyone that believes. If you believe, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's forgiveness, there's true righteousness, there's eternal life in heaven. So Jesus is the absolute fulfillment of the Old Testament. Secondly, God's word is absolutely permanent. Look what he says in verse 18. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. English equivalent. Not a single dot of an I, or a cross of a T. Not the smallest mark of punctuation will fail. All of it will come to pass. Like David said in Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This is really important to the main point that Jesus is going to make. He's the absolute fulfillment of scripture and scripture is absolutely permanent. Thirdly, absolute obedience to the word is expected. Verse 19, whosoever will break. One of these least commandments and shall teach men so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. By the way, just a quick aside. This is a great way to pray for your pastors, all of them. Because Jesus has a special condemnation, not just for those who break the commandments, but for those who teach others to break the commandments. Pray that your pastors would not only not be sinning, but would not accidentally or intentionally encourage sin In other people, Jesus is speaking here of the Old Testament specific to the Jewish listeners. The cross had not come yet. Change was coming. But he says, you are still obligated, Jew, to the Old Testament. You are still obligated. The question for us is, are we? Are New Testament 21st century Christians obligated to the law? It's a great question to ask. Several people have looked at it several different ways. For sake of time, let me give you a simplified version. This is oversimplified. But the rules in the law could be categorized into three different types of laws. Civil laws, ceremonial laws, and moral laws. Civil laws govern the nation. I believe that when the nation rejected their Messiah, that all ended. The rules for the nation. His attention, God's attention, turned to the church. The ceremonial laws governed worship. I believe that that ended on the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, remember what happened to the veil of the temple? It split in two, indicating that, hey, everybody's welcome into the Holy of Holies. You are now your own priest. You don't need a religious system to approach God. That leaves us with the moral law, the rules that are based on the character of God. These are codified in the Ten Commandments, summarized by Jesus in the two great commandments, love God and love others, I believe that the moral law essentially is still for all mankind today. Now, humans hate this. Humans hate absolute law. In fact, if you follow our legal system or political system, you're aware that today when American courts make a ruling They're not so much after the truth so much as they're experimenting with a solution and it might change and there might be another court that overrules it. Right. And so it's constantly looking for truth, especially Americans. But I think all humans hate when somebody says this is absolute truth, truth, and you are absolutely required to obey it. There's no negotiating. There's no overruling. There's no appeal to God's rule. It's eternal. And obedience is expected. He says in verse 20, Hey, you have to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. You can imagine people listening were probably going, What? That's impossible. You can't be more righteous than those guys. Which reminds us that we have a problem, right? James said, If you... Keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. You're guilty of all. So I'm guilty. I've broken the law. But here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Here's what Paul is celebrating. Don't miss this. He says this Listen, Christian, you're no longer obligated to the law as law. You've been detached from that. You're now obligated to the master, and the master's standards are even higher. It's not that you get to abandon the law. What did Paul say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. It's not that we get to abandon the rules. It's that we have a new master. It's not a law I'm obeying. It's a master I'm obeying. And then he gets into what that actually means. What does that look like if, I have, if I'm married to a new commitment, a master instead of the law? Well, that brings us to point number two, Jesus' view of tradition, it's misleading, Tradition is misleading. So I want to just kind of go through these quickly, see what the law said and see what Jesus says, see how different they are. Number one, what you hear about murder, Jesus says, you've heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. By the way, this is right out of Exodus 20, the moral law, the part that all humans are still obligated to. And in the letter of the law, they were right. God did say thou shalt not kill. But what Jesus is going to do in all five of these cases is say, hey, I that's great that you're obeying the law. And I see these other details you've added to it. But here's the question I've got for you. What about your heart? What about what's going on inside? Your heart is broken. Your heart is diseased what about your heart? What about your motives? You see, here's what the traditional view of the religious elite was. Hey, the law says thou shalt not murder. So do not murder. I don't murder. So I'm clearly right with God. I'm clearly righteous. I'm proud of this fact. I will not be judged for murder. I've declared myself not Guilty. It is not about God. It's not about his character. It's not about my love for others. It's about obeying the law. It's the rule. And they repeated it over and over and over and over. It's kind of like if you're playing a game, like, like when I'm like playing ping pong, playing ping pong. And if you repeat the wrong score enough times, your opponent starts to believe it. You know what I'm saying? Happens sometimes in pickleball, too, doesn't it, brother? Yeah. Like saying the wrong score just over and over and over until everybody starts to buy in. This is exactly what the Pharisees were doing. Want to be righteous? Don't murder. If you don't murder, you're righteous. And Jesus said, no, you're not. What about your heart? Verse 22. Whosoever is angry or uses derisive terms or calls his brother a fool, they're also guilty. Hatred and division are just as bad. When you're angry with others, when you curse and degrade, when you mock them and disdain them, you idiot kind of attitude, you're guilty of murder. John, the apostle, in 1 John 3 said, whosoever hates his brother's murder. It was really clear. Jesus said it. I believe it. Whosoever hates is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You can't experience the love of God and hate others. You see, God is concerned with what's going on inside of us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, the things which proceed out of the mouth come forth out of the heart, and those defile the man. Evil thought, murder, adultery, fornication, thefts, false, witness, blasphemies, these things come out of the heart. So what do we do about it? Verses 22 to 26. Reconcile with others if at all possible. Can I give you a summary of what Jesus says? Here it is. Listen to this. If you have anger against someone else, immediately do all you can to get it right. If you have anger against someone else, immediately do all you can to get it right. Number two, if you are aware someone is angry against you, immediately do all you can to get it right. You can't force others to reconcile. But well, here's what Jesus says you must try. Avoid hatred. Seek reconciliation. This is the way of the Master. And it is the way of the Master for every single subject in my kingdom. There's no exceptions. But Jesus, I was really wronged. And I'm just kind of an angry person. It's how God made me. Jesus says no exceptions. Avoid hate. Seek reconciliation. This is the way of the master. Number two, what you hear about sexual sin, verse number 27 and 28. For sake of time, let's just go right to what Jesus says in a nutshell. He says, don't commit adultery. By the way, this is also true. God said this in the moral law. God sees this sin as so heinous, so vile, that the penalty in the Old Testament was often death. Now, technically speaking, adultery is the sin of having a sexual relationship with another person's spouse. That would be the letter of the law. So don't miss what the Pharisees are doing. The Pharisees are like, oh, yeah, I know what adultery is specifically. He didn't say anything about B, C, and D. I'm not guilty of that. So I must be righteous. Jesus says, no, you're not. Jesus condemns any sexual relationship outside of marriage, including in the mind. He still takes the law seriously, but the master's view is don't lust and don't cause others to commit adultery. Don't look on someone, in this case specifically a woman, to lust after her. If you linger, fantasize, lust, you have an adulterous heart already, Jesus says. You're already an adulterer. You're just as guilty. Somebody might say, well, how do I know? Well, are you seeking it out? Are you seeking her out? That picture, that person, that video, are you being aroused by it? Are you purposefully lingering to enjoy? That is lust. Job said in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then would I think on a maid? Like, I determined what I would look at would be pure things, so I'm not going to think about impure things. Titus 1.15, Under the pure, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Everything has a sexual innuendo. Everything is impure. Everything is a dirty joke to the defiled mind. The defiled mind turns pure beauty into sinful lust. That is why the pornography business turns trillions of dollars in profit every year. Defiled minds. So what does Jesus say? Pluck your eye out and cut your hand off. What does he mean? I think what he means is this, that you should give up your personal rights to avoid spiritual calamity. Give up your personal rights To avoid spiritual calamity, let me give you just a couple of modern examples. I think you can go to a theater and be right with God. But if you go to a theater to watch something that arouses your lust, don't go. You're an adulterer. You can have a television, but if you have a problem... With that television arousing your lust, get rid of it. You have a right to it, but if it causes spiritual calamity, cut it off. You can have a phone. If it brings things to your eyes that arouse your lust, get rid of it. Jesus, I don't think, is literally asking us to mutilate our bodies. What he is saying is this, eliminate personal rights to reduce spiritual calamity. It's not worth it. Secondly, hold marriage and biblical sexuality in high regard. Hold it in high regard. By the way, church, we want to do this. We want to hold marriage and biblical sexuality in high regard. And after this segment of modular class in eight weeks on April the 28th, we're going to do a Sunday school class four weeks long on this subject, biblical Sexuality. I don't know if you're aware of this, but our world is an absolute mess on this. Complete mess. And the solution isn't Christian adults just setting an example. The solution is Christian adults teaching their children. You might call it sexual discipleship. The church has historically done a bad job about this because we're somewhat ill at ease with talking about it publicly. But this must be addressed. We're going to talk about ways the church can be more intentional in this. I urge you, this will be open to adults and teenagers, just four weeks long biblical sexuality. We want to hold marriage and biblical sexuality in high regard. Number three, what did Jesus say? What you hear about lying. Again, you've heard that it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear or perjure thyself but perform unto the Lord your oaths but I say unto you swear not at all here was the view of the religious leaders hey if you make a promise between you and God then you're obligated that promise but if you make a promise between you and anything else loophole you can lie you don't have to hold yourself accountable to that by the way swearing before God is biblical Numbers 30, verse 2, if a man vow a vow unto the Lord or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. By the way, we do the same thing today at weddings, right? In the church, say before God and before these witnesses, do you make these promises, right? We do the same thing in court or swearing in people to oaths of office. So help me, God. The Pharisees agreed with this, but they used it as a loophole. Just say what you mean, Jesus says, and do what you say, Jesus says. Don't just lightly say, I swear to God, quote unquote. By the way, I I don't think there's ever an appropriate time for a Christian to say that. If that's a habit phrase for you, it's one I would encourage you to get rid of. Because what the master says is this, when you say yes, mean yes. And when you say no, mean no. You don't need to say, I swear to God. On a stack of Bibles, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, right? No, it's just when I say yes, I mean yes. When I say no, I mean no. Because I am committed to honesty, be a man or a woman of your word. Don't call the almighty creator God in on your team. That's a bit presumptuous, isn't it? To presume he agrees with you or that he'll back you up or that he believes you. You can't speak for God. But if you do make a vow to the Lord, never disregard it. Proverbs twelve twenty two: lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly are his delight. Are we 100% honest with each other? Or do we feel like we need to say things like, I swear to God, on a stack of Bibles? You don't need an elaborate or presumptuous vow to tell the truth. Always tell the truth and don't look for a loophole. That's what the Pharisees were doing. How about this one? Number four, what you hear about retribution and fairness, by the way, of all five of these, this is probably the hardest one. We naturally tend towards retaliation. We picked up this skill in the nursery and some of us have never shaken it. Right. Jesus says, you've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, resist not evil. That's hard. Now, the Pharisees had correctly interpreted what the law had said, but it was intended for courts. Here's what the court system, the, the Old Testament law said. If you steal somebody's donkey, you're going to have to give them a donkey, right? If, you're gonna, if you steal somebody's chicken, you've got to give them a chicken. That was the idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That was legal. That was not intended for relationships. If your buddy accidentally kicks you, you should kick him back. That's how they were interpreting it making themselves judge jury and executioner actually jesus says hey do this resist not evil when it's against you personally first peter chapter two jesus when he was reviled reviled not again when he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously jesus is not talking about facilitating sin for others okay let me just give you some Just a quick clarification on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches us without a doubt that we are to deal with evil in the church. What Jesus is not saying is that you should just let evil keep happening. No, deal with evil. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul gives Timothy instructions. Listen, if there is evil in church leadership, you should deal with it. God resists evil. Jesus resists evil evil. Governments are commended when they resist evil. So what is Jesus saying when he says resist not evil? Well, the context is personal. What he's saying is don't fight out of a sense of vengeance. Don't fight over a violation of your rights. Like Paul said in Romans twelve seventeen, recompense to no man evil for evil. And he's implied in the context toward you. Think about this. Like we don't advertise or invite abuse. I don't leave my keys in, I was going to say I don't leave my keys in the car. I do leave my keys in the Jeep. I use the old stick shift security system, so hopefully nobody can drive it. We don't leave the keys in Mari's car. We're not inviting somebody to take it. I don't walk down a dark alley at night. I don't give all my earthly possessions to the first criminal that steps up and wants them. We don't unlock the church doors and advertise free stuff on the sign out front. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is this. Listen, when somebody needs forgiven, forgive them. Be more forgiving than people deserve. More forgiving than they deserve. Jesus did this, remember, on the cross. Turn the other cheek. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Number two, be more generous than people deserve. If somebody sues you, Jesus says, because they need a jacket, give them the jacket and offer your coat as well. If they need it more than you do, be more generous than they deserve. Thirdly, be more helpful than people deserve. If they need you to do something for them, go the extra mile. Some of you might not even realize that's where that, phrase comes from it comes from matthew chapter 5 go the extra mile it's not about fairness it's about kindness and shining our light for god's glory and can i just tell you this passage of scripture has gotten a lot of criticism from modern christians because modern christians read that and they think jesus you don't know what it's like like in our modern legal system and all this stuff and the resources we've got like you can't you just can't do that well jesus says well this is what my subjects do in my kingdom? Want to be a part? Be more forgiving, more generous, and more helpful than people deserve you to be. And then lastly, what about love and hate? You have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. I say, love your enemies, bless those that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you the traditional view to love those that love you and hate those that hate you that makes sense but jesus says listen christian character is not about how you treat your friends it's about how you treat your enemies sacrificially love them bless them when you're cussed out return with sincere not sarcastic blessing right somebody gives you a one-finger salute on the interstate." God bless you. Right? That's sarcasm. (laughs) Right? But what Jesus says is actually bless them. God bless you. Sorry, I cut you off. I hope you have a good day. Right? With that attitude, even in the privacy of my own vehicle, bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for them that abuse you. Stephen did this in Acts chapter 7. He's dying, being stoned to death, and he says, lay not this sin to their charge, Lord. I don't know if you've heard the story of George Wishart, who was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. The story goes that as the executioner was preparing to take his life, the charges were brought and this executioner knew George personally. And as he's standing there, he's clearly getting emotional and he's bothered. And so the command is given to perform the execution and the executioner hesitates and as the story goes George Wishart stood up walked over put his arms around the executioner and said listen I forgive you held on to him for a second went back over and they performed the execution that is loving your enemies this is what Jesus says love them pray for them do good to them So what's Jesus getting after in this part of the sermon? I think we can illustrate it with a conversation between these two fellas, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. They have a familiar and and, uh, popular dialogue that they have with each other about wabbit season and duck season. And they're trying to convince Elmer Fudd which one it actually is. And Bugs, who's a little smarter than Daffy, agrees with him at first. Daffy says, it's bunny season, it's wabbit season. And Bugs Bunny says, yes, it is wabbit season. And then he says, actually, it's duck season. And Daffy says, no, it's not. It's wabbit season. He says, it's duck season, it's rabbit season. And then Bugs says, actually, it's bunny season. And Daffy says, it's duck season. He yells as loud as he can and Elmer shoots him, right? And what's he doing? He's Bugs is messing with him. He's got a little psyop going on there where he's totally confusing Daffy by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. This is exactly what was going on in the religious system. And by the way, if there's anybody who lines up pretty close to Pharisees in modern day, it's probably conservative Christians. We tend toward this. We lean towards creating rules for other people to help them look religious to us because we feel better about it. Rather than doing what Jesus said and looking in our own heart and saying, God, do I love you? Do I obey because the master wants more glory? Am I seeking your heart? It's often that we hear in this place people will say, well, I've always thought... Dot, dot, dot. Or I grew up in a church that taught dot, dot, dot. And no disrespect, but I don't think we should care about that unless it was Bible. What does the master say? What does Jesus want? We must go back to scripture and seek the spirit of the command and the glory of the master. Would you hear that again? We must go back to scripture and seek the spirit of the command. What did he intend? And the glory of the master, what is the best way for me to obey Jesus? What do you hear? Jesus said, you've heard that it hath been said. What do you hear these days? Let me guess, take a stab in the dark at what you might hear. Well, you go to church. You're pretty religious. Yes, I am. Thank you very much. I must be righteous. These guys say I'm Righteous. Can I just tell you what Jesus says at the very end of our passage? Be perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. You can't do this. You cannot achieve the righteousness I'm demanding without me. So conclusion number one, what we heard sung for us this morning, you need Jesus. A Christian is not someone who keeps every command of God perfectly to the letter and the spirit. A Christian is a person who knows they can't. A Christian is a person who knows they must be forgiven and then once forgiven to let the character of Jesus live through their life. It takes a changed nature to live the king's way. It must come about by Holy Spirit living. You cannot do that without Jesus. So question number one is, have you repented and trusted Christ alone? There's a real place called hell where people will really go if they reject Jesus for all eternity. Have you repented from your sin and trusted Christ alone for forgiveness? Number two, the letter of the law is not enough. It falls short. If you're saved, you're forgiven, but can I remind you that does not mean that you can sin willy-nilly? I don't even know what willy-nilly means, but I think we all get it, right? You can't just go crazy and sin. You can't continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. We must seek to obey the Master fully. Can I just ask you what view of the Master in your life is at odds? Are you allowing yourself to hate, curse, or mock annoying sinful, evil people? Are you giving yourself a pass on lust and impure thoughts? Are you finding loopholes for lying, justifying less than the truth? How about retribution and fairness? Are you retaliating? How do you respond to unkindness and a violation of your rights? Do you love, bless, pray, and do good? Lastly, don't let the noise of life get in the way of God's truth. What noise is getting in the way of God's words for you? I just don't have time to memorize scripture. In the morning, I've got emails. I've got the news. I've got the weather. I've got children. <laughs> Whatever. you got an excuse. Go to bed earlier. Get up earlier. Turn off some noise. If you do an audit of your life, no doubt you will find some noise that is getting in the way of God's words For you, I'd memorize scripture, but my brain, somebody recently told me, is so full of other stuff. I think implying that, like, I think about really important things, Brad, unlike you. Like, I I just got all this really important stuff going on up here, so I can't memorize scripture. And I challenge this friend in a discipleship relationship, you need to get rid of some stuff, man. You can't memorize scripture, too much stuff, too much junk, get rid of some junk. This is Jesus' big point. Turn off what people are saying. Who cares? Turn on the words of the master, the words of scripture. Father, help us to do that. As a church, please give us a commitment to doing the spirit of the law, what you intended. And secondly, what brings most glory to your son, Jesus? We want him to be high and lifted up in this place, the preeminent shepherd of this church. May we honor him in how we respond to the teaching of your word today. We pray
0: in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing, sing together as we close. Great anthem and theme that we all need. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let that be your prayer as we go out into our week.
5: Oh
4: Lord.
3: most important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago, and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ, and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you, in person or virtually, depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for His
4: honor and for His glory.